Some of my first memories of church are of fall festivals and local business fairs. It may seem strange that organ music and sermons aren't the first thing that come to mind, but the church I grew up in was always more than Sunday services or Wednesday Bible study. It was a center for people to come together. A few years ago, I went back there to attend an event that brought together local businesses, especially Columbia's varied and colorful cast of food truck vendors. They had decided to raise money and awareness for cancer research, all while bringing people closer together with good food and good company. History tells us that religious institutions across the world have long been integral players in caring for those who too often are left out on the margins. These institutions, whatever the time and place, have been centers of gravity, gathering people to solve local problems with considered cooperation. This is Logosish. Our conversation today explores the ways in which people of faith create new bonds with others, and how we collectively use those bonds to make a better tomorrow. Hey everybody, welcome back to Logos-ish. This is Reverend John Hoyne. I'm joined once again by Reverend Sarah Relaford and Reverend Brian Betcher. And today we have a special guest. Uh, but first, how are we doing this week, guys? Everybody holding up okay? Yeah, everything's going well. Yeah, uh, still getting to enjoy being outside in the early morning before it's blistering hot. And uh, Brian, you have recovered from COVID, is that right? You're fully recovered? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a free man. Uh, right. No longer... Uh, bound to the abyss of my apartment. Does that mean you tested negative? Uh, after? I have officially tested negative. Wow, what a- So now I only have antibodies. It's, it's always so weird to me talking about medical tests because I, I feel like if you test positive, that should be a good thing. But it's, it's not. Never- I can tell you officially it's not a good thing. All right. Well, why don't we go ahead and start getting into our actual topical conversation today, guys? Is that okay? Sounds Sounds good. All right. Well, we are joined today by Reverend Wendy Hudson of Two Rivers Church in Charleston, South Carolina. She's here today to talk to us about creating community connections. So hi, Wendy. How are you? Hello. I'm so glad to be here. We are so glad to have you. We're very excited to have you on. So before we get started with the actual topical conversation, Wendy, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, So as you shared, I am at uh, Two Rivers Church. We're a new church start in the Charleston area of South Carolina. And uh, we we had our second birthday in March um, in the midst of COVID, of course. So we didn't really, we didn't get to have a birthday party. Um, but I like to say we're officially now a toddler church. So we've moved from baby church to toddler church, which means we can now get in trouble and do lots of uh, fun things as we uh, spread our wings and learn what it means to, uh, to keep growing up. But we're really, it's an incredible community where we are fully um, LGBTQ inclusive and committed to anti-racism. Um, and we really live and stand at the intersections of both of those values that we hold really strongly. Um, but our, our core values are authenticity, creativity, and being inclusive, uh, creative, and beautiful. And so we really embrace all of those values as we seek to live in the way of Jesus. It's an incredible place. You can find us at Two Rivers CHS on all forms of social media and our website. We'd love for you to connect with us there. But I have, uh, I kind of came into the church planting world a little bit late. 
according to best practices. So best practices say that you can plant a church when you're between 25 and 45 because you connect best with people 10 years older and 10 years younger than you are. And so I just slid in under the wire <laughs> under that, uh, under that 45, I was 44 when I started this church. So I spent, you know, I spent the rest of my career in established churches. So I don't know if your listeners, you know, are currently in established churches, uh, traditional churches, or if they're in some kind of a fresh expression or new church, but I've had a lot of experience if you're in a traditional and established church sitting right where you are. And so just know that I uh, am thankful for you and know that this time in the church's life, I think being an established church is and serving an established church is one of the most difficult callings that there is. Um, so just know that my prayers are certainly with you. I have three kids who are uh, 12, 14, and 17. And so we're all getting ready to embark on a year of virtual education for all three of them. Um, so they're all doing something a little bit different. And it will be something exciting to be sure. I'm sure it will be. I know that there's a lot of people out there right now who are really sort of beginning to try to wrap their minds around what education is going to look like this year. Have y'all had any like big struggles so far? Um, I know your kids are not toddlers, so you're not struggling to get them to sit down in front of the computer at the very least. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the great gifts of having, you know, tweens and teens is that, and especially my kids are all very like self-directed. So there's very little, like once a week I, I say, is there anything that you need to do? <laughs> you know what I mean? Because they just all have been really self-directed, which has been um, a great gift. But we're fortunate. They're all doing a different type of virtual education. So my oldest is a senior, and he's going to do a fully virtual, kind of classic virtual experience. Our middle is going to try what our school district is calling a blended virtual, which is live instruction, like following a typical school day. Um, so that will be interesting to see how that goes. We think that'll work best for him. And then my youngest um, is doing a classic homeschool. So we have a Montessori guy that we're connected with. He's our children's spiritual formation director. And so she's going to be her Montessori guide. And her goal is to finish seventh and eighth grade this year. So she was like, I don't want to wait anymore. I'm ready to start school and I want to work fast. And I want to go at my own pace. So we're really blessed to be able to have three different options to meet the needs of all three of ours. And I have the flexibility to be able to do that. And so that's a, a real gift that I know a lot of people are struggling with. Um, Wendy, did you grow up in the church? I'm not sure I know this about you. No, that's, a, that's a great question. I did. My parents still worship at the United Methodist Church in Lancaster, South Carolina, where I grew up. And I always say I can trace my call. I think it's a appropriate that we're talking about community connections today, because I always trace my call to ministry back to community. It is, you know, every significant step um, in my call to ministry. And I don't know if y'all experience this, but my call is new almost every day or every season or every, you know, like it's not just one call. I think that's a kind of fallacy that folks say, you know, it's like, oh, I was called to ministry. And it was this like one time, one experience that you can you know, quantify on a date. That's not been my experience. It's been like, I'm, I'm having to say yes and reaffirm that call almost every day, but it's always been done in, um, in community. So I you know, grew up in the church and had a really quintessential American Christian experience, but very mainline, missed out on the whole like evangelical culture. I'm just right at the, the top end of the purity culture movement. So that wasn't something that I was really formed by, which I'm exceptionally thankful for because 75% of 
our church has been formed by the harms of purity culture and evangelicalism and trying or spending a lifetime undoing a lot of that damage. Uh, but no, so I've just really was had an incredible experience growing up in the church, uh, people identifying call to ministry within me um, from a very young age, from the time I was in junior high and middle school, being a young adult missionary after college uh, through the United Methodist Church. So really getting to experience what it means to to serve God in places all over the world. And then, you know, now being rooted in this incredible congregation in this city. So it's, uh, yeah, I've, I've had the best, the best of the Christian experience in America, I have to say. I mean, minus the attendant patriarchy and racism, of course. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, you know, we've all got yeah. struggles that, that we have to deal with. Uh, well, let's talk about this whole community connections thing, because I, I think we all have a sense that um, just about any religious institution anywhere at any time has been a, a central sort of integral component of, of the community in some way, at least the good ones yeah. have been, and have had to reach out and create connections. But I, I want to ask you in particular, you know, why, why specifically talk about creating community connections at all? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Uh, we did what we call a parachute model of our church plant, which is where they literally sent me and my three children and said, here, go live in this eight mile stretch of road and make a church. You know, <laughs> like that was it. Um, so I had two families that I was, you know, previously friends with who came with us. And so it was really, it was like three of us, you know, had three families that started, you know, something from literal nothing. And so, uh, you know, the first 18 months, all I did was make community connections, both as an individual and then as we started to gather people together and kind of formed a small group and then kind of developed that into a launch team. So then we were kind of you know, creating these more community connections, really getting a sense of what it means to be a faith institution in a community. Um, the, the area of Charleston that we are is the last undeveloped part of the city of Charleston. The area that we've been specifically sent to is in the process of being developed as a planned community that eventually uh, will be 9,000 acres. They've only started developing the first 400, which is just a drop in the bucket. Um, but eventually 9,000 acres, saying up to 18,000 people, that will take about 20 year, twenty to 25 years to fully build out. But we're at the very beginning of that right now, where um, interestingly, there are not many community institutions, because this is primarily an industrial stretch of road with a few historic communities that have, um, especially historic African-American communities, because the 9,000 acres that are developed is an old plantation, which we in our church call an enslaved labor camp. Um, we believe in truth telling and calling things what they are. Plantations have a literal whitewash and veneer to them. So we, we like to, you know, really remind ourselves that we're standing on an enslaved labor camp because it really changes. It changes our connection with the land. It changes our connection with the community, especially as a predominantly white congregation and white community. So, you know, really stepping into this place where the schools were opening the year that we moved here three years ago. So brand new schools. Um, other than that, you know, we just got a year ago, we just got a grocery store. So before that, there was no community, you know, so like there's, there's no park, there is no public meeting space. There is no recreation facility. There's no library. There is not a single place where you can gather for free in our entire community. And so that's been really interesting to try and, 
grow a faith community, grow an institute, you know, grow a church and a congregation um, when there are not some of those basic stakeholder institutions that you find in the community. And we found that as we have developed as a church, that we're really creating a lot of those spiritual spaces. We don't have, we don't have a physical space, but we're really creating these spiritual spaces, these emotional spaces, and these justice-oriented spaces by the virtue of our existence. So you don't have a physical space. Can you explain to us how that works? That's really... Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, it's a particular challenge right now because the stretch of road that we're on is and is primarily industrial until now, but now they're building housing developments, which is just like a long stretch of road with, you know, primarily cookie cutter houses, you know, in them. And those communities really don't even have, those housing developments don't even have community centers or kind of any kind of gathering spaces within them. So we first started off, the only space that we could find to meet in was horse barn. And so there was uh, an old established uh, horse barn that the owners had turned into an event venue for like weddings and larger events, which just meant they'd poured a concrete slab on the back side of their horse barn. And so we started, we started our, we had our first four gatherings out in that space. So we start off in a barn or you know, outside of a barn in November, December, January, and February. And even though we are in South Carolina in January at 10 a.m., it is still in the 30s. The folks who came to that were like, you knew, you knew people were, were had bought into the uh, our our vision if they came out when it was 35 degrees on a Saturday on a Sunday morning at 10 a.m. So after we finished those four months in the horse barn, we were able to find an English pub that was in a minor league soccer stadium at the end of our at the end of our road. So for the first full year of our life, um, we would schlep up and down the stairs, all of our equipment into this uh, sticky beer covered bar and uh, have to like do an hour's worth of cleaning before we could like set our children's area up, you know, with these like really disgusting tables and sticky floors. Our probably favorite story from that time in our life was uh, Easter Sunday, Bell, the morning after they did a huge Bob Marley themed night. So you can imagine what the pub smelled like when we walked in on (laughs) Easter Sunday morning to extra sticky beer and um, the faint waft of marijuana. So it was a very, we had a lovely and very memorable, very relaxed Easter Sunday. I'm kidding. We had a a very interesting uh, first Easter there. But one of the interesting things in that experience, you know, that really kind of caused us to ask those questions about how do we listen to our community? Because that has always been really key for who we are. I always say that we would write a really boring book on how to plan a church because it would be listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying. Go do that thing. Listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying and then go do that thing. Um, And that's about it. So that, you know, that's kind of, I mean, we of course have plans, but that generally has really been spirit led through our whole um, process. And a lot of that spirit led is listening to what the spirit's saying in our community to the people who were, um, are coming alongside of us and really where we're feeling called next. And when we started, we didn't have a lot of children among us, but a lot of 20 year olds and 30 year olds. But then all of a sudden, all these families started coming and we had all these children and we didn't know what to do with all these children. And so we had one room that we separated them from our main worship space with a shower curtain. 
So if you can imagine 25 children in a room that is separated from your main worship space with a shower curtain, <laughs> um, it, was, it was quite challenging. And so we really, our parents really were coming to us either totally unchurched, had never been to church as an adult, or had had really harmful church experiences, primarily evangelical church experiences, where they had experienced significant religious harm, spiritual and emotional harm. And so they were saying, we really want our children to have an experience with God, but we don't know how to offer that to them ourselves. And so that part of that was like, you know, deep listening to what our community was saying. We were, God brought to us an incredible Montessori educator who had a long experience with um, children's spiritual formation using a Montessori model. And so she started to really lean into that. And um, our families really started to experience a lot of individual, personal and church growth. So we very quickly realized we were growing out of that space. And so we were able to connect with the high school that had just opened here in our, uh, in our geographic area. And so for the last year and a couple months, we were at the high school where we set up and had, you know, more space for our children, um, you know, more space for our worship uh, to really grow and expand new communities and new ways to connect with our community um, by being in that space. And then now we're six months into COVID (laughs) and we are in a virtual space, still trying to use those good practices of listening deeply to what our community needs and wants and how God is continuing to call us to grow even in this new space. Well, that's really incredible, Wendy. Uh, We are going to pause for two seconds because we are being joined by Reverend Garrett Roca. Garrett, welcome to the show. It's great to uh, be here, even if I came somewhere in the middle of it. And uh, I'm I'm just glad to hear some awesome stories about folks connecting with their communities. That's sort of my bread and butter, so... Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm excited to hear y'all talk together about about this topic. But Wendy, I my question for you is, you know, it sounds like in terms of church development, y'all have gone, uh, you know, kind of from space to space, expanding and adjusting as your needs have grown. Yeah. But how did you make those connections to begin with? Like, what mm-hmm. did you do? How did you reach out? How did you even, you know, message people in a public sense, you know? Sure. I want to share that a lot of kind of the ways that I started and we started as a congregation do apply to established church because, you know, I've spent a lot of uh, these last three years repenting for all the ways that I was really isolated in my established church that I didn't even recognize. Um, So I just want to say, give encouragement to folks who are serving established churches. A lot of these connecting points and ways that we use in new church are 100% applicable to your established congregations and can bring you a lot of new life, especially if you are more of an entrepreneur or you're more someone on the edge or you're much more comfortable with people outside of the church, uh, leverage that and lean into it. I think a lot of times we were talking before we started, our system is set up to reward conformity and status quo. And those of us who aren't naturally conformers or status quoers sometimes feel like there's something wrong with us. 
but um, actually it's not. There's It's a systems issue, not an us issue. And so I just want to like offer that word of encouragement that, that lean in, lean into those, those entrepreneurial events uh, and connecting events that you might have. That's where God does the best work is out there on the edges. And then you can teach your people how to do that too. And it totally transforms their lives. And then it totally transforms your established congregation. So when they get to see what the difference that it makes. So I, um, the first two years of our congregation, I did 450 coffees, lunches, and dinners when I added it all up. So that was uh, when we first started, I was told by someone that I needed to have 20 contacts, new contacts a week for the first several months. And so I was like, that's, you know, I don't know if anybody does Enneagram. I'm a three on the Enneagram. So someone gives me like (laughs) a benchmark or a goal or a challenge, buddy, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to meet that. So I was like, very good. Hey, Wendy, can you briefly explain what the Enneagram is to people who don't know? And also Brian is also a three and that makes total sense for our church planners. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know what um, I am, and people say that's being a nine, so I'm just going to roll with that. Dude, you're totally a nine-eight. Totally. <laughs> that's so funny. Um, so the Enneagram is an, an ancient, a long term, a long time. I hate to even use the word like personality sorting. That's not even the right word. Somebody else who might explain the Enneagram better, but it's a way of looking at who you are naturally, kind of your natural bents, your inclinations some aspects of your personalities. There are nine numbers on there and usually folks find themselves in one of these nine categories and they might have kind of tendencies to the number on either side of them. So uh, threes are known as the achievers. So they're like entrepreneurs, startups, go-getters, your classic oldest children are often threes, you know, kind of like always out there um so i said so there, i was like great 20 20 new contacts a week and so i did that and i thought that meant like i needed to have 20 individual lunches coffees dinners conversations and after i did this for about three months somebody was like oh no like if you go to a meeting and there are 10 people there that counts as 10 and i had only been counting <laughs> that as one <laughs> so but i that means got a whole lot of people but that means we are an overachiever a lot of people in a really short time. That's awesome. So part of, so when I first came, because I was a community that I had not ever lived in, that isn't, again, doesn't have a lot of these uh, stakeholder institutions. So I couldn't like go to the library and hang out or go to a park. We, we had none of those things. Um, so I spent a lot of time first calling everybody I knew in the city of Charleston who did not go to church and meeting with them. And just listening, reconnecting. If they asked what I was doing, I would tell them what I was doing. And then kind of stopping there. Um, one of the best pieces of advice I was given was don't make every interaction a recruiting event. Establish relationships for the sole virtue of relationships, not as an ulterior motive to get somebody to come to your church. And I'm so glad that my wise and gifted friend, Sarah Ewing Merrill, uh, shared that with me from you know the very beginning, because it's really easy to slip into that, especially when you start feeling desperate for people, but really just establish relationships for the sake of relationships. So I did that. And every time I finished, I would say, is there anybody else you think um, I should meet with or would be interested? And so I just kind of started from there, working my way kind of through chains from person to person to person. In our own community, I you know immediately met went and met with the principals of all three of the schools. 
connected with them, found out what were the needs that nobody else was meeting and how we could step in to meet some of those needs. And so there were things like the school nurse at the middle school said, I don't have menstruation products for my students who are coming to me with needs. And I was like, we can do we can we can do a tampon and pad drive. And so we did. And so that was a really easy way then um, on our community Facebook pages to say, hey, I'm the pastor at this new church. We're collecting tampons and pads for the middle school. Here's the Amazon link. You can order and send it straight there. So then that was able to meet a community need, meet a need of the school, get our name out in the community and to show that we're folks who are really like willing to meet the needs of folks on the margins and needs that are kind of on the margins. So that, you know, that was one way. Um, then yeah, I went to every single PTA event, went to every single, I like, I did set up some hours at our local coffee shop. There are really only two restaurants on our whole area. Um, so, you know, became very good friends. The folk at that coffee shop have been our biggest supporters from day one. My 17-year-old now works there, so you know, we've established a long uh, connection, connecting point, um, connecting point there. But we've also have been willing to just follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and follow the people who God has brought to us. And so anytime somebody connects with us, if they, we get a like on our Facebook page, I send that person, you know, I, I, I friend that person on um, Instagram or Facebook, however they've connected with us. And then I send them, you know, a direct message saying, hey, I'm the pastor of the church. So glad you liked us. What questions can I answer for you about us? Maybe 25% of the time people will respond. But based off of those 25%, so I've had really incredible conversations and coffees and connecting points. Um, and that's one of the ways we've still been able to grow even in the midst of COVID, because people are still finding us, they're still connecting with us. I'm still doing, you know, four to five virtual coffees a week, coffee dates a week with people who are new to us in that way. So it's been a really, a really good way to keep kind of meeting with our community. So do you have, it sounds like you've had mostly positive experiences, but have you had any kind of experiences with rejection or challenges with getting people to reply to you or call back or anything like that? That's a great question. Yeah. I mean, one of the things about being willing to make community connections is that you have to be willing to be okay with rejection and with no, you're kind of an outright no's um, and outright rejection. So as I said, you know, like of the messages that I send to people, 75% of them go unanswered and I have to be okay with that. Or people will meet with me once and seem like they're really interested and then totally ghost me after, after that. Or, you know, we've had some interesting experiences like in my own neighborhood with folks who thought they were getting an, a, a type of church that they were really comfortable with. And then we started talking a lot about Black Lives Matter and anti-racism and how LGBTQ folks are um, fully beloved and equal in the eyes of God as straight people. And then those folk, and the people are like, whoa, this was not what I was expecting. And then yeah, exactly. Brian just did this, like, with his arm, like, off they go. Um, and that certainly has been our experience. And it's interesting when that experience happens with people who were the parents of your kids' friends. And then they start to ignore you at the pool. <laughs> so that's, you know, <laughs> that's been an interesting... Um, you also have to be willing to make friends with people in your bathing suit. And 
and that is also a very interesting connection. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you're in a community like ours that has a pool, um, my first summer, I, you know, was trying to like be friendly with every person at our pool and had lots of like ice cream sundae pop-ups. And so it's very interesting to make friends with your church people when you're in a bathing suit. So those are some of the things that you have to get comfortable with as somebody wanting to make connections in your community. Yeah, I totally agree with just kind of putting yourself out there. Uh, I think that's why I view ministry the way I do as just an adventure in discovering the treasures of God out around you. So those yeah. treasures I hold are those relationships and those stories. Uh, I get very excited about that. So I remember coming up and and doing fresh expressions with you guys with uh michael and that's where we got to interact a little bit more more so and i don't know i think that experience and just sharing just sharing that and seeing people sort of work through that process and then you in the background going yes 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 because you were already on that page um (laughs) it was just a really cool experience for me i think for fresh expressions, it's very much the the same way. And what a fresh expression is essentially, because I just use the term without explaining it, is creating a church for people who are not already connected to the church in any sort of way. So very similar to church planting, um, this would be planting a church in a brewery or a pub for the sake of those folks there. And it may grow like like a church plant, or it may just stay those those people and that and that small place. But being welcomed into that community and just tapping in and seeing where God is already working um, and guiding people, that's the essence of fresh expression. So it's not anything new or breakthrough, but we've just uh, found a new passion for it, I think. And I've really latched onto that. That speaks to me in my ministry. So You know, Garrett... I would say, Garrett, one thing that I wanted to kind of bounce off of since you've had such a a long experience with Fresh Expressions, if this has been your experience as well, like meeting new people in the community, establishing ourselves, introducing myself, you know, as kind of who I am. Authenticity has been everything because people, the more you, the more we spend time with people who either have no church experience or we've had very damaging church experiences, their BS meter is like attuned perfectly Mm -hmm. um you know and we've really found that the second we try and use you know we spent the first year of our church life every single week three of us would get together and we would parse every word that was said during our worship service and we would say this was a churchy word don't say it again this was a phrase that wasn't explained don't do that this you know concept you needed to explain it in a way that you know some a different person, you know, you were talking too churchy. And I, I had to change completely my preaching style, uh, completely the my exegetical style, completely the way that I talked about the concepts of church and God and the Bible, like all of that. I had to change everything. And it and that was like a year of every single week being critiqued and and, and given feedback. But we had to do it. Otherwise, nobody outside the church, existing church, would have given us a second thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't know if, if you've had some similar experiences with that, as you know, oh, in your fresh expressions world. Yeah, definitely. It's authenticity and what what my friend Michael Beck would say uh, using is it Christianese. Um, yeah. It's just a really cute way of him saying that we use like all of this high, crazy sounding language, like 
grace and trinity and transfiguration and they just get longer and longer and longer until people are like well i feel like i need to go to college to understand any of this stuff and for me i don't i never fit what people view as a pastor like i walk into a room people wouldn't say oh he's a pastor he holds himself as a pastor and i think for me that that's a blessing in my in my view because they just get who i am at that moment and when they ask what I do, I'm like, oh, I, I serve as a pastor. And it's for the majority of the time, they may be a little leery, but it's not like I was trying to trick them uh, into saying, oh, this is now I'm going to evangelize to you. Here are a whole bunch of cards. Here's a Bible. And you have to come to a Sunday morning service and give me some of your money. But people are often surprised and comforted at the same time, because then uh, I don't know if you've experienced that, the times where people just start unloading. Oh, it's yes. like all of a sudden, oh, here's a pastor and they don't seem like they're judging me. Here's all of the stuff that I've been holding. Yeah. And so, uh, but that comes from like place of like investment and trust in, 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 a, in a way. And it's sort of the low, low, low bar that they're allowing you to come in a little bit. Yeah. So it's... Um, yeah, being being who you are is absolutely key and comfortable with yep. your gifts and your limitations. I think people get more yep. Yep. out of that than they do. Like, I am the super awesome person. Right. So what about you, Brian? So I, I was going to ask, I, I feel like this is, uh, I currently work in a newly established church. I'm a part of a church merger, made my pastoral transition two years after their merger and during COVID. So that's a challenge in itself. But I feel like a lot of established churches are really distant from their communities. Yeah. Uh, they kind of function as little castles. And, it's, and people get really protective of their castle. And, but that's clearly not what the Holy Spirit envisions for the church to be. So how do you, um, as, a, as a spiritual leader, empower people and build them up to go and do that spirit-driven work? That's a great question. Just all of you. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, at my, um, at my last church, uh, it was 100 year, almost 100 years old. And when I first got there, they had, you know, had a series of like people who had served their last appointments and retired. They had about 25 years of like, four years retire, four years, which means one year work, three years post retire, one year work, three years post, you know, so like that had been their experience. And a lot of them had grown up in that church, in that community, but then had moved to a neighboring town. And, you know, even though I only had to drive in like 10 minutes, it still, you know, felt like a much different place. So my third week there, I was like, let's do, I couldn't call it a prayer walk because I would freak them out. I was like, let's do a see and seek. Let's just walk around our neighborhood. So we met up on a, you know, 10 o'clock on a morning in July in Charleston, which was a terrible idea. But um, anyway, so we, we walked around the block. Once around the block, and we came back into this little chapel, like 25 people. And I was like, so what did you see? And this one woman raised her, as quiet. This first person raised her hand. She said, I've been a member here 40 years and I can't remember the last time I walked around the block. And like her saying that, it was like that, started to like knock down like you say those castle walls I started to, that was like the first chink in that kind of castle wall starting to come down of that congregation and so for the first year there that is all we did 
for three months, we walked around the block once a week. Yeah, and that was it. And then we'd come back and say, so what'd you see today? And that was like, that was all we did. And then every time somebody, you know, I would say, oh, how about we set up a table and sell cookies at the Halloween event? You know, and they, which is such like that low hanging fruit, like that's like the bare minimum of things you could do. And then like for the next three weeks, I just praise, 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 praise them about like how wonderful it was and all the great stories, the people we met and how amazing they were and, you know, like all of these things. And that's all. So I think that's one of those ways that you start to let people see what it's like to simply walk around their block. You know, it's not, it's not some big fancy program doesn't require a task force, doesn't require getting people together to plan something and all the eventualities, like just walk around your block and talk about what you see and do that consistently. And then people start to see things and then they start to have conversations with their friends. And then it's just kind of start to naturally unfold. We have to really model. That's what I found is like modeling for people, what it's like to walk around the block, what it's like to, you know, go not spend your office hours. I would say like office hours are a relic of the past. That's a relic of when people didn't have cell phones and to get in touch, you had to actually like answer a landline. If people remember what those are, you know, now it's, it's just, it's about accessibility. People just want to know you're accessible. You can be accessible anywhere. You can be accessible in your coffee shop. You can be accessible on the beach. You can be accessible in your house. You can be accessible anywhere nowadays. And so we don't have to be stuck in offices. I actually think church offices should be a thing of the past. I think they shouldn't exist anymore. And we should only have co-working spaces or only work in co-working spaces or only work out. That's, to me, one of those ways that you can start modeling for folks and they can start catching that vision. That's awesome. I'm totally going to have to start doing that when, uh, when it's safe to walk with people again who I don't live yes. with. Yes, exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think uh, for me, we just had a, a meeting last night and people are starting to say that we're feeling, we're, people are getting antsy and wanting to serve and do the things that they used to do or could do. I think that's the challenge of COVID, especially in this time. And you know, the great thing about being interconnected, you know, especially with technology and what we're able to do right now is to crowdsource ideas. And a lot of my friends have done different types of parades and versions of meal fellowships where everything is socially distanced. People like come in a drive through and then they are all invited to a Zoom link and they have fellowship dinner. And it goes in a way of honoring a tradition that connects people, but doing it in a way that is spirit-led because during Jesus's time, if you said Zoom and whatever else, um, first century folks will just kind of look at you like, oh, this person is touched by some sort of spirit and it's not a good one. (laughs) And for me today, I I was talking to, to our folks last night and said that for, well, let's sort of problem solve what what is it that our homebound folks really want? They said they want connection. I'm like, well, you know how we did, or you guys have seen the graduation parades for college and high school kids? They're like, yeah. I'm like, we can do a pastoral care one and give them like a big card and maybe a little care package. And five or six people are like, yeah, I'm totally down for that. Like you said before, listening to the Holy Spirit. And in that moment, it was just a sentence and going after it 
doing it in such a way that you don't necessarily have the answer. You don't know if this is right or wrong, but it's, you know, taking the handful of spaghetti, as I explained to my folks sometime, throwing it against the wall and seeing what sticks. So it's, it's also as a leader, being really aware of that for those folks who want to do something and just listening for that moment to equip them. And that is the hardest lesson during this time for me right now. In that example last night, it worked. A lot of examples a day later is like, man, darn it. <laughs> there was that time and I missed it. So two of our phrases um, that we really adopted at the beginning and we're having to lean into again right now, where anytime we would hit a roadblock or an obstacle is we would say, this is our invitation to creativity. And so we would like, anytime we hit something, you know, that was, didn't go our way or we didn't work, we're like, this is great. This is, means we could be creative and it would, you know, kind of push us on. Um, or the other thing, if we would hit up something that felt a little more significant would say, this is God inviting us to a deeper prayer life and we will rejoice. <laughs> and so I think it's just these willingness um, as you're establishing community connections, as you're being either innovative as a leader, if you're trying to transition established church into being, you know, a part of their community, maybe for the first time in your know, decades, a lot of it is, you know, viewing your obstacles and your roadblocks in new and creative ways, not being afraid to fail, like knowing you're going to fail and that being, and being okay with like establishing that as part of your culture, that you're going to try something. And if it fails, that's okay. Like we'll pick it apart to find out why, but the problem isn't the failure, you know, to find out kind of what we needed to learn and to do something else and to really rejoice when God invites you to pray deeper and harder about something. You know, those are messages that, you know, I've been having to like retell and it's awful when your people say, you know what? this is God's invitation to deeper prayer. We should be so excited. I'm like, stop telling me my words. <laughs> you know, sometimes you don't want to hear your own words come back to you because you're like, oh, you're right. <laughs> yeah. um, so Wendy, uh, one of my like thoughts in our conversation is that the concept of community is not like a Christian owned thing. Communities pop up all over the place. So why is it so critical for the church to have that kind of community-oriented depth from your perspective? I think partly because, you know, people who connect with us, you know, we're, I mean, I think especially post-COVID, we're going to see this accelerate even more rapidly. You know, we're in a post-Christian culture in the United States, of which I am so thankful for and happy about. Um, you know, I love, I would much rather <laughs> be a leader of a Christian community in this time than the 1950s. You know, to me, this is the best time to be alive. So one of the one of the reasons why I think it's so important is people, even our most committed people, spend ninety eight percent of their life not at church. People spend their lives in their classrooms and in their playgrounds and in their grocery stores and in their workplaces and in their you know extended families and you know that's where people spend their lives. They spend their lives in communities, and so the church should be an extension. It really should be, there should be a very, very blurry line to me between church and community um, because we want to, you know, people shouldn't compartmentalize. Ideally, people would not compartmentalize their church life and the rest of their life because their relationship with Jesus influences and impacts all of it. It influences and impacts how they 
treat their coworkers. It influences impacts where they do their shopping. It influences and impacts how they engage in advocacy around LGBTQ inclusion or anti-racism. You know, people shouldn't like go to a Black Lives Matter rally as one thing and then come to a Bible study as something else. Like those should be the same things. You know, and, and I think that's part of what we can do as Christian leaders in this time in particular is knock down those dividing walls between church and community and really help folks embrace and see that God is at work in all of their life, not just in this little specific time or this little specific place. To me, I think that's one of the greatest opportunities we have right now. I think that definitely talks to uh, your comments on authenticity, right? Mm because you're giving them Wendy, who is a child of God and vocationally is a pastor, but they get you first and they discover all of those things about you rather than I am the person that is establishing a church or I am this pastor and then you get to know me. So again, I think, like you said before, modeling that and living into who you are outside of the physical structure or off the physical campus of the church is, is a really practical lesson, but also one of the harder lessons because sometimes people can't flip that switch yet. Yeah. It requires unlearning everything. We, those of us who are professional clergy, it requires unlearning everything we have been taught. Mm-hmm. Everything about how we spend our time, everything about where we spend our time, everything about who we are, everything about how we preach, everything about how we speak. I mean, all of it has to change. And it doesn't mean you're unboundaried. You know, vulnerability is one of our core values and we embrace that. Um, You know, I was divorced back in this, my divorce was official back in the spring. And we did this, tell me what you want to preach about. And one of the things was what Jesus teachings on divorce. And the way the schedule worked was I was, I preached that subject the Sunday after my divorce was final on Tuesday. Now I had worked through all the healthy stuff. So I was able to preach that sermon from a place, you know, of health and separation and appropriate and and appropriateness. But I have, you know, some friends who are like, how, how in the world did you do that? Um, But I was like, but part of it is like vulnerability, you know, it's like really embracing that. And I'm boundaried, of course, I don't bleed on my people. I I have appropriate sharing. Uh, You know, it's like, I know, I know that that at the end of the day, I'm a pastor first to my people before I'm their friend. You know, it's like all of that, all of that's very appropriate. It doesn't mean that you abandon those like professional ethics and those best practices, but you're right, Garrett. People have to see you as you, as Sarah, as John, as Brian, as Garrett. They have to see us that way first, especially now, or they'll never see anything else. We have talked about a bunch of different things. You know, we've talked about, you know, just sort of, generally being willing to reach out to people, being willing to embrace and accept rejection as a potential consequence of that, because otherwise we're never going to get out there. I've been really, really impacted, I think, today by thinking about both the conversations about authenticity and being able to be ourselves and especially our best selves and the value of creating relationships ideally just for the sake of relationships first, rather than thinking of people as a means to an end, which, you know, generally I think ends very badly for everybody involved. So Wendy, I want you to challenge us, both the people who are listening and the people who are talking to you right now uh, with something to try next. 
as, can I do it in the in the in the context of COVID? Let's do it. Okay, so I would say something to try next in the context, especially now of COVID, would be I would really challenge everyone to try and do two virtual coffee dates with somebody that you do not previously know a week. And so there's some place, some of you may be in a place where it's safe to do a socially distanced coffee. We're in Charleston. It still is not safe to do that. So I'm doing like virtual coffees with people. And I would think I would really encourage folks to be both strategic and creative about how they identify those people. Maybe, you know, you want to go through your social media channels if you're a clergy person um, and find some people who have liked or followed your church pages um, that you don't know and reach out to them. And again, it may take you, you may, you know, it may take you four times to get one person to say yes, but like kind of be persistent about that. Um, I think if you're not, you know, a clergy person, but you're just someone who's interested in the life of your local church or the church in general, to be really creative about who, who you might be able to reach out to for the simple sake of relationship uh, and do a virtual coffee. If you could try two of those a week, um, just see, see what might happen. Awesome. Thank you so much, Wendy. As a way of closing out each week, we're trying to take a moment to kind of reflect on what gives us life in the present moment. You know, what we find encouraging or, you know, even something stupid, something from pop culture or something that just, you know, gives us a little extra boost at the end of the day. And, uh, you know, we'd like you to start us, but, you know, we'll all share a little something, I think, before we finish out the podcast today. Um, I just came back from a week of vacation and that was really lovely, which was a little, I mean, I'm, I'm so, I mean, it is unbelievable. I have the most amazing both church staff and church folks who, you know, really encourage and support that and, you know, have the necessary skills, you know, that I, that I can leave. And there was like a little bump up at the end of the week, but I didn't even know about it until I came back because they, you know, everybody handled it. And so that I think is one of the ways, you know, I know it's really, really hard in the time of COVID, especially those of you who are solo pastors or don't have staff or don't have, you know, lay people to figure out ways to take time off. So uh, no, if you need, if you ever need a virtual sermon, if you're, if you're doing recorded um, and you need a pulpit supply, please reach out to me. I have 20 weeks of sermons, <laughs> video sermons. I would love to send to you any of them and you can choose and use any of them. Give yourself a break uh, for a week. So I would say I would, you know, taking vacation, um, especially in this time has really been giving me life. What about you, Brian? So uh, we had virtual BBS last week and it was uh, something I was pretty like, I wouldn't say apprehensive about, but I was like, we've never done that before. So, uh, which is a, almost everything at the garden is something new because we're only two years old, but it's, it was delightful about how many new folks actually participated. And I've gotten the chance to reach out to some in the last, uh, you know, couple of days. And it's been a fantastic uh, thing because so many churches in our area are still uh, either doing too much and that they're trying to open too fast uh, in an unsafe way or they're doing nothing. And so I was glad we were able to kind of find a happy medium of something that was both safe and allowed us to active, be active and participate. Very cool. Garrett, I'm going to make it a caveat since we've recorded a couple of episodes for the past two weeks and you've said the same thing every time that you should tell us something different. No, I refuse. It's giving me so much life. No, uh, I was actually thinking about uh, this earlier today. And one of the things that has gotten me really excited is 
engaging with folks in new ways over social media. I'm not a guru in any sort of sense, but one of my favorite things is that we've been doing is our Facebook Live events, and we did a fellowship for communion on Communion Sunday, where I did I streamed it live. I talked about what it was in a really like broken down sense, and we had about like ten folks uh, there, all everyone all spread out, and uh, on the front lawn of the church, which historically is like their gathering place, is something like really important to them. And we had two folks from that weren't a part of the church ride their bikes over and join us. So that was really cool. Um, One person is like, yeah, uh, I follow your stream, even though I go to the Baptist church in Tampa, which is about 30 minutes away. And another person was, I'm their neighbor and I don't go to church at all. So uh, that was just something really cool. And I've been excited about doing it next month and and sort of um, just reaching new people in new ways. So is that different enough, John? I think so. Garrett, Garrett, I really hope you were going to say that you started a new new TikTok channel. Oh, I (laughs) I don't even know what that is. So I'm one of those old curmudgeonly millennials. Back in the day, we had MySpace. That's all we needed. So um, John got on to me last time because I also said the same thing two times in a row, which must be part of our Gemini nature, Garrett. Yep. <laughs> uh, I am grateful right now for sign language, even sign language, ASL TikTok. I grew up in a house that uh, was, we were all hearing, but my mother's master's degree was in deaf education and she, for our whole childhood, taught deaf kids. And um, so she taught us. And so my sisters, I am one of four girls, five of you include my stepsister. Um, my sisters and I would grow up signing to each other in church to talk about people. Um, mostly. <laughs> they didn't ever stop either. Yes. We did this well into our thirties and forties. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, but now that I live in South Carolina, I don't have anyone to sign with. Um, so another thing I'm grateful for is that John has started learning to fingerspell. So yeah, I love sign language. That's really great. And you know, I've, I've really had a good time recently reading Karen Armstrong's The Lost Art of Scripture, uh, which is a fantastic sort of dive into various kinds of ways in which scriptures kind of across the world have come together. And so it's, it's a comparative religious look at how different religions have thought about the way they write things down and the things they choose to remember and the way they use those things that they've written down in the life of their religious communities. I highly recommend it. Uh, I've even recommended it probably to way too many people at this point. Uh, I'm really hoping there's an audio book that will come out that uh, is really well read, but you know, who knows? So that's how I'm reading it. Oh, well, great. I will check that out. Um, One more time, Wendy, where can folks find you if they want to follow Two Rivers Journey or um, see what you guys are up to? Yeah, Um, we are Two Rivers CHS, so T-W-O-R-I-V-E-R-S-C-H-S on all social media. And um, that's our website, tworiverschs.org. You can find me on social media. I'm at um, Rev Wendy Hudson on all forms of social media. And I would love, love, love to connect with you. Thanks so much, Wendy. It's been great having you today. It's been such a fun I love spending time with you. It's been so good. Thank you.
Hey guys, this is John. Thanks for listening to another great episode of Logosish. This week's music was by Audionautics.com. If you have any questions or thoughts, or if you'd like to have your music featured on the podcast, be a guest on the podcast, or suggest a topic for us to cover, send us an email to logosishpod at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at logosishpod. Please like, subscribe, and review wherever you downloaded this podcast. That helps us to get the word out about all the stuff that we are working on. And we'd love to hear your feedback as well. Have a great week.